This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. More students are filling out their college applications for next year than ever before, but many are feeling unprepared for what lies ahead. 40% of those applying to a four-year college will never obtain their degree or at least won't obtain it within six years. And over half of those entering junior colleges or community colleges will be gone by the end of the first year. Why do high schools leave their students so unprepared for the independent study that college requires? And what can be done in our high schools to make every student prepared for college? Well, that's the question that Diane Tavener, co-founder and chief education officer of Summit Schools, which was founded in Redwood City at the beginning of this century, uh, and Redwood City's in the heart of Silicon Valley, well, that's uh, Diane Tavener asks that question and she provides an answer in her new book entitled Prepared, What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life. So I'm pleased today to have Diane Tavener with me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Diane, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Paul. It's so great to be with you. So, Diane, let's start at the beginning. Why did you decide to take on the enormous challenge of creating a brand new public charter school in the richest corner of the United States, Silicon Valley? Well, Paul, uh, there were a few reasons. Uh, but the first one was um, I was an educator, a teacher, and then a school principal in traditional schools for a number of years, and, and the reality was no matter how hard I worked, we kept running up against brick walls, um, preventing us from doing what I what I believed and what many believed was best for kids. And so the, the opportunity to start from scratch and, and design a school uh, to really meet the needs of kids was somewhat irresistible. And at that point um, in, in history was a really, it felt like a rare opportunity, one that you really had to, to grab because I wasn't sure it would be around for too long. Um, but there were two other pieces there. One, I, I, I'll have to admit I was a bit naive. I had no idea what would uh, the, the work would entail. Um, and then the, the final piece is I was pregnant uh, with my first and only child and was about to become a mom. And, um, you know, everything changes when you become a parent and you start thinking about education through the lens of, of um, your own child. Oh, absolutely. I think that everything I do is shaped by the children I've uh, had grow up with me. So um, let me ask you this question. What were those brick walls that, what were some of the brick walls that, that you felt hemmed in by that you wanted to address by starting all over again? Um, I think the, the, the biggest one was um, how kind of narrow our focus was or the focus is in most schools and how siloed um, in high schools the education is. And so really... Um, not much has changed in terms of most high schools are very focused on teaching kids very separate subjects in um, a sort of a day that, you know, you run through and hour by hour um, in, a, in a relatively traditional manner where there's a combination of textbook and lecture and, um, you know, kids take tests and um, what we know from the science and from our experiences, that's actually not the way to prepare kids for the world that we currently live in. Um, they need 
um, preparation in a much more dynamic set of skills that are needed today um, that include both sort of hard academic skills, if you will, but also um, the habits and the mindsets that they need in order to be successful and engaged people. And the structure of the school was really so hard-coded that it was impossible to make changes there, um, at least I felt, uh, without starting from scratch. Well, so when I read your book, it reminded me of a book uh, by Ted Sizer, Horace's Compromise, written 50 years ago. And in that book, he says, I'm going to quote him, no more important finding has emerged from the inquiries of our study than that the American high school student as student is all too often docile, compliant, and without initiative. Is that sort of what you're saying, that this system creates bored students who are compliant and without initiative? Uh, that is what I'm saying. It, it's actually the system um, incentivizes that and and um, really de-incentivizes students who want to assert their own autonomy and their own agency. And it doesn't help students build self-direction and um, you know, one of the most important things we do and one of the most important things that I try to do as a mother and a parent is to build my child and build all of our kids' um, ability to really have agency and own their learning and self-direct their learning. And that is a cornerstone of our school model. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of parents and people don't realize that kids aren't just born this way. Kids aren't just born able to, you know, own their own uh, destiny and journey. They, these are skills that just like reading and math can be developed, and they have a place in our schools for development. And so that is, um, I couldn't agree more, um, and indeed the work that we're engaged in today. So, you know, you have a remarkable uh, record there at Summit Schools with uh, 98% of the students going on to a four-year college. We're not talking about going on to college. We're talking about going on to a four-year college, which is a, is a big difference. And, and, and I know you think you have accomplished that because you've uh, aroused the curiosity and the initiative of the young person. So I want to know, how do you do that? Well, we start with a project-based curriculum. And so um, w our students, if they stay with us for middle and high school, engage in about 200 different real-world authentic learning experiences or projects while they're with us. And in these projects, they start not with sort of a unit of study like we normally do where we say to a student, you are going to learn about, uh, you know, causes of World War II or you're going to learn about, uh, you know, a specific type of grammar or the... Um, you know, quadratic formula. Instead, we ask a big question that's interesting to them. So, you know, how does um, how does a, a product actually become a product in our world, for example? And believe it or not, that's a, a question that opens a study of the Industrial Revolution. And rather than sort of studying the Industrial Revolution in a methodical, sort of boring way, we bring it to kids and say, you know, how do you think that, why did that come about, and how did that come about? And they follow and trace a particular product through their journey. And along the way, not only do they learn sort of history, but they are bringing in a whole bunch of other skills. They're collaborating with their peers. 
they're getting to make a lot of choices about what it is that interests them most, even though they're learning the core content, and um, really preparing for what the world demands, which is much more um, initiative and thought and strategy and creativity in the day, in today's world. Well, so I understand that maybe you you say, okay, so how how do how do we how come this, this sweater how, how how did this sweater this product come into in, into being and then that can lead to all kinds of loom and the uh, spinning wheel and, I, and on and on you can go, but so that gives you a lot of specifics. But how do you get to the higher level of generality so you can talk more about the industrial revolution and things like that? Yeah. How do you well, get from the specifics? Yeah. One, sometimes when people do projects, they forget that you actually need to still learn and know content and information. So we um, haven't forgotten that part. We don't assume kids come with it. And so we spend time with our students helping them develop their um, the skills they need to learn and to learn how to learn. And so our kids still engage in a lot of content work, but they do it using playlists and through choice and developing their own strategies and goals around that and in service of answering those big, interesting questions. And then the second piece is we've done a really rigorous job of creating um, and identifying the 32 most important skills that kids need, both in high school and college and career. So these are skills like problem solving and analysis and effective communication. And those skills are embedded throughout every single project. And so the students are practicing them over and over and over again. And then here's the key. The teacher is not standing up in front of the classroom lecturing. The teacher is giving really meaningful feedback on the students actually doing that work throughout the project. And it's timely and it's actionable. And what we know about skills is you have to practice them and get feedback and then practice again in order to get better. And so that is the construct of the project. Um, and so, you know, sometimes the worry about a project is kids are going to have holes or miss content. We've dealt with that but the, and kept the advantage of really focusing on kids having these big, valuable skills that they're practicing over and over again with really intensive feedback and lots of opportunities to practice in real-world ways. Now, I know you give, a, from reading your book, I know that you emphasize cooperation and collaboration and, and de-emphasize competition. It's not a matter who's going to get into which Ivy League. It's going to be a matter of how do we all get what we want in, in uh, here and beyond. So how, how important is that to your strategy? Well, I think it's incredibly important because I think people don't often realize is the way that our schools are currently constructed with um, where we literally stack rent kids. You know, when you have a valedictorian and you stack rent kids by GPA, the kids on the top are benefiting from those who are on the bottom. And that is, and the school is benefiting from the kids on the top being, you know, successful. And so it's designed for there to be winners and losers. And it's designed for them to be judged on very single narrow measures. And so what we've done at Summit is say, we actually acknowledge and recognize that every one of our students has hopes and dreams and wishes and strengths and things to contribute and areas that they need to grow. And that they actually don't all want the same thing out of life. 
they don't want to have a good life, but that looks very different for different kids. They have different values. They have different families and backgrounds and things they care about. And so what we do is we really spend time figuring out what is it that every single student wants. And we do that in partnership with the parents and the family and whoever else is supporting them. And we do it over many years through exploration. Our kids do eight weeks a year of expeditionary learning where they're really figuring out what their strengths are and what they're good at and testing things and trying things and ruling things out. And so we figure out what they want and then what we're searching for is the best fit for them. And we make a commitment that every single one of our students will find multiple best fit post high school options. And those look very different. You know, not, believe it or not, not everyone wants to go to Harvard. It's not a good fit for them. Um, and what's better is when they do find a good fit that matches who they are, both for economic reasons, geographic reasons, their, you know, future aspirations, all of those things. And so when you think about each individual student and them wanting something different and driving towards that outcome versus a single outcome for a select few, that is where you can really think about everyone being successful. Well, that's good for the, and I can see that you can persuade students of that, but how about their parents? Don't their parents say, oh, I want my child to succeed, and their definition may be much more competitive than the one that you're describing here. How, how do you explain your mission to, you, to the parents? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because, you know, honestly, we had a similar hypothesis, and so really the main reason I wrote this book is one of the things that we have discovered um, as we've been working across the country uh, in 40 states now helping to share the summit model um, through the summit learning program um, and in conversation and discussion with parents all across the country is that believe it or not parents actually have um, they have shifted their definition of success and they really, yes, it's important to them that their kids have, you know, economic stability in their future life. And so they don't, they don't want their kids to be poor or living in their basements. But what they really care about in addition to that is that their kids are happy and they have good lives and that they um, basically are fulfilled. They're doing what they want to do and they have good relationships and all those things. But here's what's really interesting we found, Paul. Most parents think that they're alone in that belief. They think other parents have a much more traditional definition of success. It's much more about status and power and wealth. And so they are very quiet about their beliefs because they don't think they are shared. And so one, the primary reason I wrote the book was try to help parents realize that they're not alone. And in fact, that they are a majority in this country who want their kids to be happy. They don't want their kids to be depressed and bored and, you know, far worse that you know and I both know are happening with our teenagers today. Um, and so this is, a, this is an important thing, and we as parents need to be open and vocal about it and asking for this. And so that's a long way of answering your question. We have a lot of parents who are very attracted to this way of learning because they really believe in it and it's what they want for their kids. 
But how do you get this 98 or 100 percent success rate? Uh, aren't there some students who simply refuse to be engaged? Isn't there? I mean, whatever you do, however talented your teaching staff is, don't you run up against somebody who you can't get to say, I, I want to I do this today. They just are going to resist everything. Well, certainly on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, educating kids is a very human business, and it can be very messy for sure. But on the whole, it's, it's, we haven't run into kids who really don't want to succeed in life and who don't have some sort of vision for themselves in the future. We run into a lot of kids who've had really bad experiences before they get to us who, who don't believe in themselves, who don't think that that's possible, who have lots of reasons for that. But um, that means you just have to build a trusting relationship with them. And you have to show them that it's actually possible. And you have to be consistent and stable and honest and authentic. And, you know, our schools are designed to build those types of relationships. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is the mentoring element of, of our schools and how we really um, ex- spend a lot of energy building relationship with kids um, because that that matters to them. And what we know about high school kids is if they have one meaningful adult relationship on campus, they're much more likely to be successful. And so um, over time, we're able to really um, become partners with both kids and families in helping them pursue their future success and their journey. And again, I think this is a very different mindset where most schools are about getting kids to do what they want them to do on the measures that they care about, as opposed to helping the students find what is important to them and their next step in life. So uh, one of the things that's really attractive about uh, your model is that you emphasize uh, students teaching students. The peer the peer yeah. can be the teacher. So how do you structure that, that relationship? Well, that has been one of our most exciting discoveries um, and humbling, quite frankly, because, you know, as teachers, you, you know, you and I both know, Paul, that we, I think, value our skill and our ability and our professionalism. And so it can feel a little humbling when we hear that kids would actually rather learn from their peers than from us. Um, but when you push past that um, and realize that um, what we know is when someone teaches something, they actually learn it better and deeper and more. And so there's this double advantage of kids feel like they're really heard and they understand things better when their peers are helping them. And, oh, by the way, they feel great when they can be that resource. And then they're learning more, and they're being validated as someone who knows something well. Um, and what we find is, you know, all kids aren't good at all things, and but all kids are good at some things. And so it really builds a culture where kids are very aware of what they're good at, and they're very generous in offering that. And then they're also really willing to accept that help and open to accepting that help. And so what that looks in practical terms is we actually set up spaces and structures in the day that encourage kids to to teach each other and work with each other. Um, Everything from the physical space to the technology platform that lets kids offer themselves up when they, you know, do really well as a resource to their peers on that particular content. And then um, we work hard to teach them the skills around how do you collaborate and how do you 
help someone without giving them the answers? And how do you support them in learning without doing it for them? And those are skills, and they're valuable and important, and so those are a part of our curriculum. So this is an amazing thing you put together at Summit, but but now you're 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 expanding. You're going to scale. You're you're working with Facebook to put up a platform out there that allows any school anywhere in the country to download the technology that you have been utilizing with these for these playlists. So, I want to ask you this question: Can you go to scale with this, or is this something that can work in your environment that you've created in this particular place? Can it be introduced into the sort of mainstream with the same degree of impact? Well, it's it's such a good question, and I think it's it's one of the the questions that gets asked all the time in education: is can you replicate what happens in one school or in a small space? Can that actually happen across the country? And you know what we did at Summit is we built tools that we needed as educators in order to offer the type of learning experience that we believed our kids deserved and wanted. And we're so fortunate to be able to build those tools in partnership with the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and then to be able to offer them to other schools and communities who wanted them. And so about five years in now, it turns out there's 400 communities in 40 states who so far have wanted to use these tools. And you know, it's so inspiring, Paul, when, when I go across the country and visit these places, it doesn't look exactly like Summit. I mean, we have schools, big, giant schools in large urban areas and small, teeny one-house school, room, one-room schoolhouses in rural areas and everything in between who are using these tools to get to the same kind of learning, real-world, authentic, collaborative, self-directed, they look very different in all the different places, depending on who's there and the context and all of that. And we actually believe that um, it is possible when you think about it that way. You, it won't look like a cookie cutter across the country, but it will get to the heart of what we really care about, which is preparing kids for the world that we live in and their futures. Well, if if you were to do a 2.0, as I'm sure you're probably thinking about doing, what are some of the some of the things that you would that you are thinking of doing or would do uh, to 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 uh, make your program even more effective. Yeah, and it's it's um, again. I think one of the big reasons I wrote the book is really we think that 2.0 involves a much deeper um, and more authentic engagement with families and communities. And, um, you know, the, the type of expeditionary learning our kids have done where the school really does become the community could be taken so much further and um, so much deeper with deeper engagement and I think more creative and innovative engagement in communities. And it's something that everyone talks about, but not very many people do incredibly well and not in a systematic way. Um, and so I think that's what's really interesting about this next this next phase for us. And what I'm really hoping for is that um, parents will read the book and they'll be attracted to this way of learning. And this will be something that they're passionate about and that we can have much deeper partnerships between families and communities and the schools that really still are pretty separate. Um, and so that that is my hope. Um, and that 
that what we're doing at school to prepare kids for the future can be really accessible to parents at home. And so, you know, in addition to the book, we've created a whole website, preparedforsuccess.org, that provides parents tips and resources and tools they can use at home so that um, even if you're not in a summit school or in a summit learning school, that you can still prepare your kids in this way. And we're really hoping to build a movement. Um, And like you said, uh, let the world know that lots of people believe in this new idea of success and how we should be preparing kids for the future. Well, thank you, Diane. This is a fascinating uh, tale that you have put together in your book, Prepared, What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life. I've been speaking with Diane Tavener, co-founder and CEO of Summit Schools and the author of this uh, new book for parents that helps to explain what schools need to do to prepare students for life. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Diane, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.